I don't have a ton of guests on the Motivation for Mom show, but in this special episode, I wanted to share with you a conversation I had with a special woman on the topic of reparenting ourselves. Amelia Mora Mars is a mother of 10, a psychotherapist with a specialization in attachment and founder of Mom Connections, where she coaches women who are not mothered well and long to feel close to their daughters. Amelia believes that every mother stands on the bridge between the past and the future, and only she can break the cycle in the present. If you had less than an ideal relationship with your mother, you are going to want to listen to this full episode today. I truly believe that part of my purpose, my calling, is to impact the next generation through my role as a mother and through helping my fellow moms, that's you, make positive change in their life. And that's exactly why I wanted to bring Amelia on the show today. I fully support the work that she does in helping mothers remother themselves and therefore heal generational traumas and break generational cycles that tend to get passed on. Thanks for being here today. When you work on yourself, you make the world a better place. This is the Motivation for Mom Show, a personal development podcast for moms, hosted by certified life coach and fellow mama, Sarah Munder. Each week, Sarah will bring you motivation, inspiration, and personal empowerment to help you show up even stronger for your family and be the mom and woman you were meant to be. You sacrifice so much of yourself every day, and it's time to take at least a few minutes and invest this time into nurturing yourself and filling your soul. You are worthy and you deserve it. Ready, Mama? Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab your copy of The Mama Miracle, a worksheet I created to help you start your day with clarity and intention. Whenever you need a miracle in your life, you can turn to The Mama Miracle to help you get crystal clear on what you want to create and manifest in your life. The Mama Miracle ebook and worksheet was originally one of my best-selling products, but I'm giving it to you, my friend, for absolutely free. Just go to themamamiracle.com, put in your name and best email address, and I'll email it over to you right away so you can print it out and fill it out as many times as you need to. You have more power than you think, and sometimes you just need some clarity on what exactly you want and need. So go get your copy of The Mama Miracle for free at themama, that's M-A-M-A, miracle.com. Now, go enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for coming on the Motivation for Mom show today. Um, Why don't you start off by introducing yourself and telling us what you do and who you help and what you're all about. Okay. What I'm all about is I am a psychotherapist in Southern California, but my most important job is and role is to my 10 children. I have six daughters and I have four sons and currently their ages are between 30 and 15. And, um, my population that I work with the most, both in coaching as a psychotherapist, is women that were not raised or women that were raised by emotionally unavailable moms. And that was my story. And um, I just saw it come through my office so much. 
and not even just the moms or women, but in teenage girls as well. I was already starting to see patterns and it became a concern to me. And it's something I've wanted to focus on because I know how problematic it is. It's something, it's a scare, it's a scar or a wound that we carry in our lifetime. So I wanted to dedicate my work to that. That is so beautiful. And I really honor the work that you do. Um, I always talk about on this show and the listeners have heard me say this a million times that the most, one of the most important roles in our world today is the role of a mother because we have such a big impact on the next generation. And I mean, what an honor, right? And I always say, you know, it's such an honor to be mothering alongside the mothers of today, but, um, Tell us more about your story and how you got to where you are. I know that you had mentioned um, briefly a little bit about your relationship with your mom, but but how did that impact you and lead you into this career of helping other moms who weren't mothered well? I'll start kind of like with the generation. I'll start with my grandmother because it kind of helps to see the sequence. And my grandmother was, um, my family's from Costa Rica. And my grandmother had wanted to be a Catholic nun. That's all she wanted to do. She wanted to be in charity work and um, to serve God and her community. And her father told her at the age of 17 that, no, you are not going to become a nun. I have someone lined up to marry you. And he was twice her age. So she never wanted to be a mother and she never wanted to be a wife. And my mother was one of those children. So my abuelita Amelia had 18 births and six died at various ages. So she had to deal with these births, you know, these births and deaths of her babies. There were 12 surviving and my mother was number nine. Wow. And my mom was responsible for cleaning. They had, you know, different, um, their life, there was times of wealth and time of losing it all. But her job was to make everybody's bed and kind of clean the floor And so that's who her mom was, you know, a woman who was known for being very charitable and loving and a gift giver in the community, but she had a furious temper, furious temper. And so um, that's, you know, what my mom was raised with. So my mother is very childlike. She's very kind of young emotionally. And um, my father was looking for a wife. He was here in the United States. He went back to Costa Rica to find a wife. They had a date. He said to her, um, lucky is a man who marries you. Will you marry me the day after he met her? And she said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my mom, you know, and then my father went to her father. They families knew each other and um, said, can I marry your daughter? Sure. I know your family. And so she came to the United States. So, um, but she like, she was so young, like when my father would come home from work, she'd be hiding in the closet, like a little girl, like, find me, find me, you know? Wow. So that's, yeah. So my mom was really good at cooking and cleaning and running a house, but she also had a furious temper. Mm. She was very anxious and depressed at times, took a lot of naps, but I learned from a very young age Mm-hmm. You know, to be really quiet and to keep the house clean because those were her two biggest triggers. Mm-hmm. So I learned at a young age, even though I'm not the firstborn, I took that role and would think, okay, try to outthink her or pre-think what she was thinking. And I would say to my siblings, all right, you clean the kitchen. I'll take the bathroom. You do the living room. And I would turn on the music and make it like a game. 
And so my life was one of walking on eggshells and trying to keep the beast mm-hmm. <laughs> calm, you know, as much as possible. And so what happens with little girls like that is you learn to hide your true self. You learn to grow up too fast. And especially with my parents being immigrants and me speaking English, my mom used to call me her little secretary. Mm. I would write her little letters. So that's the role that I played. Mm-hmm. And it's the role of many women who learned to play small to um, to survive in a family environment that might not be very healthy. Yeah, that makes so much sense that, you know, when you say, when you say it like that, like it's survival, you know, and I don't think that a lot of people think about their childhood in terms of like, I was trying to survive, but do you think that we live in that mentality as, you know, starting as children without even realizing it, because there's this like deeply ingrained fear that if I don't please the parent that, you know, you know, there might be circumstances where the parent might abuse the child, obviously, but even just like rejection or, um, that sense that like, well, if I don't like hold the show here, then I'm not going to get the love and to a child, that's everything, right? That's everything. And if you can't go to your mother, then who can you go to? You know, you're, you're fortunate if you have a father or a grandparent, but sometimes you don't, you know? And, and so sometimes it's not abuse. It could be mental illness where the mother's just not available for you or a physical illness. Like she'd love to, but she just can't move or pick you up or, or maybe there's a very angry man in the house and she'll, she's trying to calm him down. So she's, not really emotionally available over here. So there's a lot of different reasons. Um, but the but the idea is that kids learn to hide parts of themselves. I knew one lady who told me, she, when she was a very young girl, when her mom would come home from work, she'd make her a martini. Well, children shouldn't be making their mother's martinis. Yeah. But that was her way of, she knew mom needed her martini if the night was going to go well. I think that we kind of, um, we kind of joke about that too, you know, modern mothers today in this culture of like, you know, the mommy wine and the, Mm. the mommy sippy cup, like it almost becomes like a a funny thing. Like you see a lot of memes about that on Instagram and on the internet, like, Oh, go get mommy sippy cup. Like it's, you know, it still plays out today, maybe just in a different way set of words, or maybe the drink is slightly different or something like that. But it's, it is really interesting to me to see that, like how these things become generational and they just maybe like change the way they look a little bit. So how did you go from, from, um, you know, a daughter who felt like you always had to take care of everything at home, take care of your siblings, make sure that mom was okay and everything was okay at home and walking on eggshells. How did that impact you when you became a mother? Hmm. Well, I remember being 19. I'll start with kind of something that woke me up. I was being, I was 19 years old and I was in a psychology class and the professor said, Hey, there's a book, of, there's a box of books on the ground and pick a book that you're going to do a report on. And I was looking through the box and there was this title that just like, haunted me and it was called um why are you afraid to tell me who you are right so then I thought oh my gosh why am I afraid to tell people who I really am and he interviewed people and the best response he got was because if I tell you who I am 
and you don't like who I am. That's all I have. Mm -hmm. It's such a huge risk, you know? So I um, looked polished on the outside and I love my books. I was good in school. I just hid behind academics and behind busyness. But I knew deep inside that I was disconnected. But I didn't mm. know how to reconnect. I remember my twins were in kindergarten and they were playing with a little girl often. And the little girl was sick and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And it turned out that she had leukemia. And I remember intellectually thinking, oh, that is horrible. That is so sad. What a horrible thing the mom and the family have to go through. But I didn't feel it. I, I couldn't feel it. And that scared me. And I knew that there was something about me that was disconnected. And I needed to figure out how do I connect? Because I can't um, love and nurture in the way that I want to if I'm disconnected. So I went through reading a lot of books at the time. But I knew that what I was avoiding was the human connection. Mm. I was afraid of trusting. I was afraid. You know. So for me, that mm. was the main point is the awareness that I'm disconnected. And how do I learn how to do this? And how do I stop hiding and fearing relationships so that, you know, we get hurt in relationships, we heal in relationships, but it's a risk. And I had to take the risk. Yeah. Well, that was really brave of you to, to recognize that and be willing to, you know, find that connection. So at what point in your parenting journey then were you at? You, you mentioned you had twins in kindergarten at that point. So I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old when they came home. <laughs> so, okay. so when they were in kindergarten, I already had four. Okay. Yeah. And when did you become a therapist? Was that after you became a mom? I was after I had the 10. Okay. So, yeah. wow. So yeah. you had 10 kids, by the way, I know that that just probably shocks everyone when you say that, yeah. but I just, I have, I interviewed another mom on this podcast who also had 10 kids. And I was just like, I have to side note, like I worship you. <laughs> You're like a mom idol. So, um, you know, but it's, it's reassuring to talk to someone like you who has had 10 kids, who has built a career, who has found that connection. Because sometimes I think that the, a lot of the moms that I work with just feel so overwhelmed in motherhood with any amount of kids, mm -hmm. you know, like one child can completely overwhelm you if you haven't parented yourself well enough yet. What do you think of that um, as part of your process of helping mothers and sort of talk us through how you help your clients? Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I noticed that a lot of women struggle with attachment. That's really the first piece. Okay. So, can you define attachment for us? Because I know that's something you specialize in, but I think that a lot of people can might be confused about the different attachment styles and what that means. So there are four attachment styles, and they say that 60% of the people um, have a secure attachment style. And then there's the anxious. And the anxious person is just like, tends to be more needy, more clinging, has that need to be closer to people, fears that, oh, people are going to leave me or abandon me. So there's this anxiety about relationships. An avoidant person is one like more distrusting, distrusting. I was like, oh, no, you stay over there. Don't be hugging me. Don't get close to me. I'd rather have a distance because people for me are not safe. 
And then the, their last one is the combination of the anxious avoidant. And I would say that's what I was because I was very anxious um, about people and relationships, but I was also very avoidant. So that's, that's where I played kind of cool and like kept people at a distance. But inside there was a level of anxiety inside of me. But the beautiful thing is if you work on yourself, and you surround yourself with secure, safe, emotionally safe people, you can have what they called an earned secure attachment. And so that's really mm-hmm. what happened to me is I was very intentional about breaking generational cycles and learning to reconnect, but I needed to be around people that were safe and to learn what that was. Because if you live, if you live in an environment where there's emotional unsafety, you could be dancing with the devil and your hair and your dress is on fire, and you're like, is there something wrong? Do I smell smoke? Is this person really dangerous? Maybe they're not, you know, <laughs> until you start burning you. You allow this people to get too close to you, whereas a really healthy person would be like, uh-uh, that guy's unsafe. That person is unsafe. I wouldn't even, you know. So there's this distrust and a lack of just really trusting our senses because they've been dulled. Okay. So you're working with a mom and is that where you usually start? Try to identify what type of attachment style she has. And then where do you go from there? Yeah. And really identify the, um, the relationships and the roles that she's had. So I'll ask questions like, um, you know, how many times did you move in your life to kind of figure out like those kinds of attachments? Give me an overall arching relationship with your father with your mother. Describe to me five um, adjectives that would describe your father and your mother as though I was watching you on the wall. If you say loving, explain to me why that person's loving. Which parent did you feel closer to? Did you ever feel threatened or punished? So I just kind of walk through that with them. And then um, near the end, you know, why or what kind of attachment would you want to have with your children? And why do you think your parent had those kinds of attachments? You know, because a lot of times they'll, they'll know a little bit of the story. Um, and then it's kind of starting with the, the attachment. Because if you know a little bit about that, it kind of makes sense. Because some women can be really critical of themselves and have a lack of love for themselves. And so when you hear that and you start to see and map it out, it's like, well, of course I was anxious. Of course I was avoidant. I was scared of people. I was afraid that I was going to be harmed or that I was going to be hurt, you know, or people left my life so I was more clingy. Um, and then we start working on boundaries because that's so important to have a sense of self. Are we driving the car of our life? Are we in the passenger seat in the back seat? Where are we? Who is running my life? And then getting that support around us to amplify the growth and then um, lastly is is the adulthood piece and that's putting all the pieces together because I might be 56 years in my chronological age but there might be parts of me that are stuck in time frozen in time that need to grow up and mature and to integrate it all together Yeah, that's interesting. I had heard someone say once that when your child reaches a certain age, you might get triggered back to when you were that age and some of your old childlike tendencies may come out and um, you may be pushing 
it into that child? Or, you know, what are the different types of um, responses or reactions that might come up or feelings that might come up when your child reaches a certain age where, you know, there, maybe there was a trauma or, you know, you went through something. Yeah. I'm thinking of someone in mind who, um, her daughter had a boyfriend and the sibling said to her, Oh my gosh, he is so boring. You just, you deserve someone different. He's just so boring. So she broke up with them you know, because the siblings are like, no, this, this isn't working for you, you know? And, and then this other man came into her life and he was so much fun and the family loved him. And she was 21 years old and something happened in the mother. The mother was married at 21 and she had to make a decision between the real fun guy who was of, of a religion that her family probably wouldn't have approved of versus the real buttoned up, nice on paper, CPA, you know, dress, serious, boring guy. And she went for that guy. And when this, when she saw her daughter having so much fun and that she had siblings that brought the attention to that, no, 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 don't marry him. Wait, wait, you know, um, it just, it just broke in her. And she um, found herself in a relationship with someone who was 21. Here she was a mom of, you know, of four kids and was in her 50s and found herself in a relationship with someone who was 21. She just, um, I don't think she put the two and two together at the time, but she missed out so much in her life. Her parents didn't allow her to go to football games. She was the valedictorian of her school. But um, and both her parents were in um, education, but she wasn't allowed to go to football games or dances or any of that. So all that was in there and it just just came out for her. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we know when we're parenting too much from a place of our own experiences, our own negative experiences versus what our child actually needs. Because I think that when we, I mean, we're all parenting, you know, for the first time, I mean, kids just don't come with a manual. Every child is different. You know, every, every child that you have, I mean, I'm sure you could attest to this with every single one that you've had. It's like a whole new learning experience. Right. And so, um, you know, we're all figuring this out as we go. And I think that sometimes I'll just, you know, use my own personal example. Sometimes when, I'm faced with an inner conflict of what to do with my child or my child wants to do something, but I don't know if I want them to do that. Or I am trying to figure out how to respond to, you know, something that my child is going through. Um, I think that I at least tend to think back to my own experience as a child and like, well, how did I, did that feel for me or what did I go through? But do you think that that can sometimes block the potential of what your child is possible of experiencing on their own in their life? In other words, how do we know when we're parenting too much from our own experience and not being in the present moment, attuning to, you know, what our child actually needs? I think the information only comes in the present moment, you know, and and being curious and asking the child questions and you are right. I mean, 
I think I have a son on the autism spectrum. I have a daughter with bipolar disorder. So who I need to be is connected to her or him at that time. So I, I tend to think less in terms of parenting skills or tools. I am the number one tool. Mothers are the number one tool. Connection is the number one tool. If we're too in our head, right? I love, if you're familiar with Dr. Daniel Siegel. I've read all of his books. Yeah. Obsessed. Right. So he talks about the um, kind of that flow, the river, and where you're in the little, um, the raft. I always picture it like I'm in the raft, right? And then to the left, I always imagine there's the rigidity, you know, there's the rocks, right? And, um, you know, some parents tend to be very rigid and rule oriented and extremely structured. And all, some of those pieces are great. Boundaries are great. But if you're too rigid, you know, it gets in the way of the flow. And then on the other side, you have chaos. And I think of like riptides, like if that little boat went woo, all over a lack of boundaries, a lack of structure. So what is present in the moment? And just what does that child need in the moment? Um, and sometimes we don't know. We just have to kind of figure it out and talk it through and see what happens. But I think the more we're in the flow and not just rigid or too into our head or fear about um, overcompensating or, you know, just just trusting. And I think that just comes with time. And, and again, I need to be a little different for each one of my children based on who they are, um, but just you know, knowing them. I think that's the thing. We need to be a student of our child. Um, and then, of course, when we're triggered, I mean, that's pretty obvious, <laughs> right? If we find that our, we're triggered, if we're starting to sound like our mother, um, paying attention to what's going on inside. And what's our motive? Are we trying to control them? Are we trying to support them? Um, I think we know sometimes, you know, if, if it's more about what I want them to be. For me and listening sometimes is the biggest gift they, if they do something even if it's a negative behavior it's a gift they're handing you about themselves you know if they're having a bad time if they're giving you a bad time they're probably having a bad time and just being really present in the moment yeah i think that's so important and so powerful i love what you said about um you know the the most important tool is is just simply being you, being a mother and, and having that connection and being present. I always say that in a slightly different way on this show, but I always say that your value as a mom is not what you do. It's not what you give. It's not, you know, what you bring to the table, but it's just simply you being you. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, I've seen, you know, these, these really inspiring memes going around the end of the day, your kids just want you to be there and, and to be happy. And they don't really care what, you know, you give them or what you do for them or how much money the family makes or anything like that. And, and I always try to remember that. Um, so going back to your story and sort of your evolution um, of having a relationship with your mom and how that affected your role as a mom to these 10 kids, can you think of any specific ways that you started noticing your relationship with your mom affecting the way you were parenting? And like you said, you know, like stopping to notice that and making a choice in that moment, am I going to just repeat the patterns or do something different? 
Yeah, I, I had so much anger towards her. I had so much unforgiveness towards her. I really hated her, to be really honest. And um, I knew that was part of the problem. And I knew that my anger could spill out on my children because I would have a short temper. And um, I had wanted to get over this anger and this rage, but I didn't know how. I really didn't want to, but I wanted to want to. That's, the, that's where I was. I wanted to want to. And um, there was a knock on my door one day, and it was my mother. And here I was, pregnant with baby number two. And because I was in, like, the second trimester of number two, we were preparing the room to get, like, a bed. Even though my first one was in the crib, we had a bed, you know. So she knocked at the door, and my father had beat her up. And that wasn't something I was raised a lot with. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, she's at my door and she was looking for a place to stay. And I knew that I was supposed to receive her and share everything with her. That's all I knew. And because my body was um, not quite maternity, I had looser clothes, she could borrow everything that I had. She could use the things that I had. And she would take a nap on the couch and I could see her like, like in pain, like struggling when she would sleep because of my father kicking her down on the ground. And I remember I would just sit there and watch her. And I had memories in my mind. And she said, I was hit breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If my if the food that I was carrying to bring to my father arrived cold because I stopped to talk to people, how I get beat up. And like I had all these memories just come to me as I'm watching her sleep. And I remember thinking, I didn't want that for her. I didn't want my what my father, what he did to her, is what she did us, the hitting us, you know. And there was something supernatural that I just just forgave her. I was able to see something completely different, like like almost like her her life flashed through me, you know. And um, it wasn't until years later that she actually asked me for forgiveness. In the growing up years, she would say, "Why can't you forgive me? Why can't you forgive me?" And I felt like she was demanding it of me, but she never asked, you know. So it was four, I was forty years old. There's a knock on my door. It's my mom. And I had one of my little girls. Actually, the, the, the one I was pregnant with was the daughter that was there. And she said, could you ask her to leave the room? So I said, okay, go on, Rachel. And my mom said, um, I was at a retreat, and the nun told me that I need to ask you for forgiveness. And um, she said, why was I so mean to you? And I said, because you did what was done to you. And she said, that's right. That's right. And in that moment, she was asking me for forgiveness. But I wanted to offer her back forgiveness for herself. For that. Mm. And so that's where it kind of came full circle. But I never knew if that was ever going to happen. I mm -hmm. knew that I needed to, to get the forgiveness for myself. Because there was no guarantee that that was ever going to happen. And I didn't want that anger and that rage 
to spill onto my children. I didn't want that to happen. So I knew that I needed to be very serious about helping me forgive and to love and to get rid of this anger that I had um, so that it wouldn't continue on. Yeah. I mean, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Do you think that in that moment of forgiveness, that was a turning point in how this anger would actually come out and manifest in your parenting? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, had this had not happened where she asked for your forgiveness and you forgave her and gave her also that invitation to forgive herself, you know, that's such, it sounds like that was such a healing opportunity for both of you, but I'm wondering, did it make you less likely to become angry with your kids now moving forward in everyday life when, you know, just you were overwhelmed or the kids weren't listening to you or something that would ordinarily trigger that anger to come out in you? Were you less likely to respond to your children in an angry way just because of that one healing moment that you had with your mom? It didn't happen then because I had already dealt with myself. It happened at the first encounter. Mm. Yeah. When I chose to let it go, that's when it happened for me. Yeah. The other, the other was just a bonus. The other was just a gift. Yeah. Did you notice though that you were still prone to anger with your kids just in like everyday interactions. And that was something that you had to continue to work on. Yes. Because I, I became aware that I was perfectionistic and that my expectations, I, I remember getting my daughter's dress for or for, for church and doing their hair and putting their dresses on and all that. And I remember catching myself and thinking, is this really about me? in the sense that I want to be a loving mom and have them look cute or whatever, or is this really about how I want people to perceive me? And it was the latter. It was the latter. And so a lot of my anger came from um, the same thing that I was raised. I wanted my children to uh, sit still and behave and dress a certain way and look a certain way to make me look a certain way. Cause I needed that, you know, at the time. So, um, I, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all because I'm in the mirror, you know, looking at myself because their little heads are here and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, no, no, <laughs> I do not like yeah. that about myself. I do not want that to continue. I can so relate to that. In fact, just recently I had a very similar um, experience of noticing that. And it's, it's something that I've been noticing again and again and again, and it's a pattern and it's when I'm in the morning, getting the kids off to school and they're just dragging their feet. And it's like, they're taken, it's like they're stuck in molasses. Everything's just taking forever. And it's that feeling of like coming up inside of me of like, we have to stay on a schedule. And if we don't, if we fall behind, then like everything is chaos. Right. (laughs) And I'm trying to think about life from their perspective, you know, it's like, what's the what's the big deal? You know, kids just naturally live in the moment. And I think that we have so much to learn from them about being present. And it's just, it breaks my heart sometimes when I notice that I'm rushing my kids through something that could have, you know, maybe been 
an opportunity for connection in the morning before they went off to school. And then I dropped them off and I'm just thinking like, man, I miss them. I really wish I could have like redone that whole morning so that, you know, who cares if we got to school a little bit late? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and for me, you know, I think God gave me a child on the spectrum and the daughter with the bipolar because you can't control those things. Mm -hmm. I cannot control those things. You know, sometimes my son would say and do things that I'd like, Oh my God, that's embarrassing. You know, but that's, that's what he would do, you know, or my daughter being so emotional and, um, and, and learning to be okay with the imperfection, with the messiness, with the things I cannot control. I can be there and help them walk through things, but it's not my business to, um, To, to morph or to become a way that um, makes me embarrassed of my children or in, in the, to please another adult, you know, that's not my job. My job is to be present in the moment as a mom and not to be so concerned about what others think. Yeah, that's a big one. A lot of my clients would definitely identify themselves as people pleasers. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I could identify as as well. And I is something that I had to really do a lot of work mm-hmm. around Perhaps. to let go of that. Um, you know, what can you think of any other specific examples of how our relationships show up in our everyday life with our children. You know, I, I gave one of brushing the kids out the door and you gave one of, you know, brushing your daughter's hair, but in the clients that you work with, um, what are some of the things that you notice that we tend to pass on into our kids in the way that we're parenting them? I, I feel like women wear busyness as a badge of honor, you know, that we're doing so, so much. And which there's less time being still, there's less time being present, there's less time, you know, um, with downtime. You know, I think of myself as a little girl when I would sit, my mom would say things like, what do you think, you're a millionaire? Or do you think you're a decoration? And so Mm. I learned, oh crap, I'm not very valuable here, I'm going to get in trouble if I'm sitting still. (laughs) And so... I learned to hide behind my busyness. And so I think as women, we need to really think through what is this busyness? If I'm overly busy and if I have all these things on my plate, what is this about? Is it about the things that I should do? Is it that I'm afraid that if I don't give my children all these opportunities? Um, I had one of my daughters nannied and she had, a family that had two children who had tons of activities. Actually, she nannied two families like this, tons of activities. It was all about education and piano and music and, you know, but sometimes these kids would cry. I just want to be home. I just want to be home and do a puzzle or play a game or be still. So um, I think, yeah, as moms, we just need to recognize what is this busyness about? is necessary and how can we teach our children to be still and at peace if we're like, ah, you know, running around harried. 
Yeah, that's a really good one. I'm so glad that you used that example. And thank you for sharing that um, experience that you had with your mom saying things to you like, you know, what do you think you are a statue or I can't remember the exact words that you used, but that is so interesting. And I, I always say this on the podcast too, that, you know, we, we, we tell our kids that they can grow up and do anything, for example, but then we put so much limits on ourselves and our own abilities, or we wish for our kids to just simply value themselves for just being who they are. They're just perfect, just as they are. That doesn't necessarily mean that we all don't have room to grow, but that they're instinctively or in, um, what's the word I'm thinking of in inherently perfect and valuable, but then with our own actions and the way that we're living our lives, are we really demonstrating that we believe that for ourselves too? Absolutely. So you say, um, I've heard you say this before that you believe that moms stand on a bridge between the past and the future and that she, only she can break the cycle in the present did I say that right? Absolutely. Yes. Every mother, right? She stands on the bridge between the past and the future. Only she can stand on that bridge in the future and break generational cycles. Only she can do it. It is a gift. It is a responsibility. It is a privilege. But only she can do it. No one else can do it for her. And if we do the work, we can change the course of our future generations. I mean, imagine that if we just, if each one of us did it differently. The other thing I say is that our daughters are the future mothers. So if I'm not doing the work and I have six daughters, you know, or if I am doing the work, I can imagine those six daughters of mine being mothers that are completely different than they would have been had I not. So it is definitely a responsibility, a privilege to do it easy? No. (laughs) But is it worthwhile? Absolutely. Yes. You seriously just gave me chills, like from the top of my head all the way down to my feet. Like I have goosebumps right now because I think that is so, so beautiful and so true. And I just want to thank you for the work that you do because you are helping so many moms, you know, break those generational patterns and step into the mom and the woman that they have the potential to be and to you know have those wonderful relationships with their kids. So thank you so much for all the work that you do in your life. Thank you. Thank you. How can our listeners find you, get in touch with you? How can they learn from you? Um, I have my website, which is www.momconnections.com. And on there, there is a quiz if you're curious about your attachment styles. Um, I have Mom Connections Facebook page, and then I have a Mom Connections Remothering Tribe Facebook group. If you want to be a part of the group, and I have an Instagram page too, Mom Connections. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So we know where to find you now. Tell us a little bit more about Mom Connections and what you've created with that. Well, it, it was born from the work that I do with the moms here. And what I noticed is that in therapy, they come and oftentimes I am the main female in their life. 
And I thought, oh, but they go home and they don't have a tribe. They don't have a community. And so that's why I created that so that we could um, bond together and grow together. Now, in, in, as a therapy client, I can't do that. I can't be Facebook friends or anything like that. So, you know, but with coaching clients, I can. So I just really wanted a place for us to go and talk and to help each other and support each other in this very important work. Because I always say that connected moms make better moms if we're more connected to ourselves and to other women, that um, we come from a place of fullness. And that's so important. I love it. That's beautiful. Well, thanks for being here today. It's such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. Before you go, I thought I'd ask if you'd be willing to take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or simply share this podcast with a like-minded friend. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me as at Sarah Munder. Take a screenshot, post it to your stories or your feed and tag me so I can see it and give you a shout out on the show. While you're over there, send me a DM and let me know that you're a listener and what your biggest takeaway from the show was. Hearing from my listeners is one of my absolutely favorite parts of my day. And so I'd love to hear from you, sister. And if you're ready to change your life, I've got something for everyone on my website, themamamiracle.com, where you can get my free worksheet, the Mama Miracle Manifestation Worksheet, to help you get your mind right for the day. You can join my popular planner makeover course where you'll learn how to more strategically use a planner to reach your goals, accomplish all of your tasks, and finally make time for what's truly important in your life. This course is for those of you who need new strategies for creating a schedule and getting the most out of your precious time. And if you're ready for a whole nother level, sister, I invite you to apply for my 12-week coaching program, Breakthrough. I only work with moms who are serious about up-leveling every area of their life and are committed to reaching their goals. So if this is you, I want to hear from you. Just go to themamamiracle.com forward slash coaching to apply. That's the mama, M-A-M-A, miracle.com forward slash coaching. Thanks for being here. And I'll see you on the next episode of Motivation for Moms.